Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we are thrilled to be joined by former Stanford Cardinal All-American, current WTA player representative, TikTok video maker extraordinaire, tennis channel contributor, Christian, to talk about the coronavirus's impact on tennis, what it's been like to serve on the WTA Player Council during that experience, what ideas they have moving forward to help the game of tennis. And look, we're fortunate enough, Christy's been making the rounds in the tennis media universe, justifiably so. And she gave us about 40 minutes of her time last week to talk about those issues and her uh, professional career how she got into the game, why she went to college, what it's like transitioning from college to the pros, all of that and more. Before we get to that conversation, want to let all of you know what we have going on at Cracked Rackets because we're up to some really fun stuff. And look, all of our minds, as we always say, are focused on bigger things right now than tennis. We all hope at, here at Cracked Rackets, we hope all of you are staying healthy, staying safe, doing whatever you can to stay sane in these self-quarantining times. And of course, our goal here at Crack Track is to keep producing content that can give you guys a break from the stresses of day-to-day life, just you know, allow you to absorb yourself in the sport, find some joy in an otherwise dull time period. And so we keep on cranking, and we have been up to some really cool things. If you haven't, I implore you, go check out our YouTube channel where Super Producer Daniel Westoff's up to incredible things. We recently launched our new series, CR Classics, which looks at some of the best matches in tennis history in our first first episode, Jamie McDonald and I talk about the 2011 French Open men's semifinal where Roger Federer knocks off an undefeated in 2011 Novak Djokovic to advance to the final. Beyond the incredible level of tennis we saw in that match, there's a lot of fun uh, comedic moments as well. The vitriol between the two players at their highest, the level of play also at its highest. So it made for really good viewing, really fun podcast to record, and Westhoff's turned it into a video where you can see how highlights of the match that we're talking about simultaneously to our commentary, all of the finger-wagging moments, and more. Uh, It's a really fun series, so go check that out if you haven't seen Over Served yet. Our look at all of the unintentional comedy that happens on a day-to-day basis in the professional tennis world, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, TikToks, Christian has obviously made an appearance in an episode or two. If you haven't seen it, it's a light video just to take your mind off of things. Remember uh, that there are still reasons to laugh in this world because professional tennis players certainly know how to create some humor, whether they mean to or not. So go give all of that a look. Uh, If you haven't seen our podcast, other than the Cracked Interviews podcast, where over the past couple of weeks we've had players like Claire Liu, Dennis Kudla, we've had Bethany Maddox-Sands, of course, we had Tennessee men's tennis head coach, former uh, ATP Top 30 player Chris Woodruff on the show as well. Uh, But we've also had some really great mini-break guests over the past couple of weeks, people like Andy Katz from the NCAA and uh, Fox Sports, people like Steve Weissman from Tennis Channel, Mark Lucero, of course. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, you lose track. John Wortham has been on there. Ben Rothenberg's been on there. Uh, we've tried to have as many interesting conversations about our game as possible and, of course, mix in some fun exercises as well. So Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, Mini Break Podcast, all rocking and rolling. And, of course, if you want to find any of that content, be sure to go check out our website, crackedrackets.com. But with that in mind, let's get to my conversation with Christian. Christian. 
Joining us on the Cracked Interviews podcast today, she's a former All-American at Stanford, the current world number 94, and someone you have seen on your tennis channel screens. Christiane, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Excited to chat with you guys. Oh, it's our pleasure. I mean, I don't get to talk to TV personalities often, and I feel like that's what you are now, right? Uh, I don't know about TV personality, but definitely (laughs) one on TikTok. (laughs) Is that how you've been feeling? Is it just, you know, you're sitting around and you're just like, why not go for it? Uh, Yeah, I just, uh, I, you know, spent a lot of time scrolling as I have. And then some of the things I just think of like, hey, this would be pretty funny to relate to tennis. So I just put it together. Oh, and they're all really well done. I have to mention you get some funny comments as well for people who respond. Do I? I uh, I try not to spend too much time with like the feedback of it, uh, just because there are <laughs> a lot of responses and positive and negative, whatever. So I just kind of I'll read a couple and then kind of just keep going and keep trucking, I guess. No, it's all incredible. Yeah, I, I feel like that's half the funny. St- I mean, yeah, some people are just ridiculously rude and you should throw them off immediately. But I mean, the content has been extraordinary. And, uh, you know, again, for all of us who are just looking for some sort of tennis fix at this point to get through the day, I say a big thank you to you. It's so uh, very much appreciated. And, you know, I feel like for you coming at, you know, at this portion of your career, given the success you had in 2019, you know, how are you feeling at this point? How have you been dealing with all the stresses of this coronavirus pandemic yeah so the actual like quarantine itself i'm not too bad bad with as i've said i'm an introvert so i could stay inside the house and keep myself busy for potentially years which hopefully that doesn't happen but um you know i'm on the player council so i do have we have a lot of meetings and we're trying to figure out the best way forward and we're constantly bombarded with new unfortunate information so we're just trying to stop the bleeding as much as we can have you all been meeting as frequently as possible is it a group chat every day something's being thrown around uh yeah we've got a group chat where people are you know either hearing things from other players or we have almost weekly meetings now where we get on on the call and we're presented with more information we got to make some decisions and um yeah it's it's been really tough Yeah, and uh, this is one of the topics I wanted to explore, your role on the Player Council. I'm sure, you know, none none of us could have imagined a scenario like this, but in this moment, given the individual contractor nature of the sport, every player is their own person. They go to you schedule your own tournaments, your own advertise endorsements, all these different things. Uh, how much stress has been put on the player council? Do you hear it from, you know, throughout the tour, people who are just looking for information to get through these confusing times? Yeah, for sure. And we obviously understand the players' frustrations as players ourselves. And we just, we just want to try and find as much information whether it's positive or negative but um obviously we hope that it's positive like trying to help fund players during this time um but at the same time you know it's tough for everyone so we kind of have to play the middlemen sometimes and it's uh you know it's a terrible situation for everybody like i said but hopefully we can come up with a solution to help um maybe mitigate this financial burden for everybody and I mean, in a moment like this, just finding yourself on the player council at this time, personally, how has that experience been for you? I can only imagine, again, I mean, we're all looking for things to do, certainly, but that is a role that's more emphasized now than maybe ever. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny because when I I, uh, I joined the council in end of 2018 around U.S. Open and, you know, there were still issues that needed to be dealt with um, for 2019. But, um, you know, it was very manageable. We met a couple times a year. It was just, you know, as the, you know, we would meet at slams, maybe whatever, Miami, a couple times. And then 2020 decides to roll up and we are having <laughs> weekly meetings, the most destructive possible situations starting with the fires in australia like we're getting called into emergency meetings like uh the day before indian wells got canceled like everyone went home or was in the training room and then we get an email like you have to be on site in an hour we have an emergency meeting and i'm like did i sign up for this because i feel like i'm working <laughs> overtime right now as well as the rest of the council because uh, this is pretty crazy but obviously you know th these are extenuous circumstances so uh, you know we're just trying to do as much as we can to help yeah, and i i think you guys have done you know again given the extraordinary circumstances a wonderful job and if you don't mind talking through what that moment was like for you you know being on the player council being ready to get things going at indian wells as everything emerged as all these first cancellations what was that moment like for you personally and then you know balancing your own thoughts as an individual player as well as your player council role yeah so for me personally, I was super excited just because it was my first main draw, Indian Wells, and I received a wild card. So I was really excited to play, um, you know, in I played qualies two years before, but I feel like when you play in a main draw of such a prestigious event, it really does um, change the tone and the excitement was definitely there. And in addition, you know, it was canceled the day before. So everyone is ready to play those nerves. Those jitters are finally getting, you're getting to bring them out on court. Um, so for me, it was obviously super heartbreaking. Um, but just how it all transpired, it really, you know, at the time it felt kind of like an overreaction. Um, not for like I, they, they presented us, um, we, we met with uh, Tommy Haas, tournament director, and Ray Moore, and they were heartbroken over the news to, to share with us. And, you know, what, how they, they made this decision based on the, the positive case that appeared that morning of. And there was, they, they had to make that decision, and it was really difficult for them. Obviously, the, the media and the players don't quite see or hear that side. So there was a lot of frustration and anxiety what happens to Miami what does this mean for us are we still going to get paid um so it was it was all very chaotic and so we were like okay let's try and handle the situation as best we can let's look forward to Miami Miami was full steam ahead they had 100% intention of going ahead and then uh then we get the news from President Trump that uh Europe, the borders with Europe are going to close that Friday, whatever, more than half our tour is European. We got to get these girls home. All of a sudden, it's just complete chaos. And it felt like every time we like, we got our hands on the situation a little bit, something else blew up. And then the cases started going off the charts. And now we're, you know, we're canceling clay season. And all of a sudden now, you know, Wimbledon's making their announcement this week is grass season canceled. There's so much up in the air. Um, sorry, I've been talking for forever, but it's just like the I you could not script this even if you tried. <laughs> 
Well, believe me, I, I'm sure our crack fans would much rather hear you talk than me. They're sick of me at this point, so as long that is what we're looking for. And I can only imagine what that's like for you to have to balance all of those different things. And I am curious, given the global nature of tennis is something we've kicked around, it feels like tennis is more susceptible to just being ravaged by a, a global pandemic like the coronavirus and I feel like you know while other domestic sports may be able to return just given where certain countries are at at certain times tennis will be one of those sports that will feel it may be the longest do you think that's fair uh yeah I think it's the global nature as well as the fact that you know we're not we're in uh what is it? We're self-employed. So we have to, you know, we're not getting paid during this time off. Obviously the WTA, we're trying to push them and find solutions to try and help that situation. But overall, it's very, not only is the fact that we might not get on court an issue, it's the longer we're not on court, we're not getting paid a penny for that compared to maybe other leagues where, you know, you get paid a salary. So you're guaranteed a certain amount of money every year. So for us, it's, even more anxiety of how you know we can't even go outside we can't teach lessons to kids or whatever like or it's not encouraged to do that meanwhile you have to keep training like what is your you're trying to pay not only for yourself but a lot of players travel with a coach fitness trainer so there's a lot of um questions up in the air and that and financial burdens as well and that's just something that i don't think other sports could even you know imagine paying for yeah, it, it speaks to the fact the player councils, again, uh, more relied on now than ever. And we, I'm so appreciative that you're willing to open up about this thing. Last one, and then we'll get into much more entertaining topics, I promise. But the idea of a universal basic income, one way I've heard it framed, this is from Mark Lucero, is you scrap, you know, if you play a tournament now, if you lose first round, you don't make any money. And all of that prize money gets accumulated. Uh, and given where you start at the rankings, uh, in the rankings at the start of the year, you're guaranteed X amount of dollars plus every win you get after that is that something that's been floated around you know what are your thoughts on the idea of universal basic income in tennis yeah it's definitely you know it's a great concept um the biggest issue i think is just there's so many moving parts with tennis we're not the only people involved and you know there's we have different parties with different interests so trying to get everyone together to come for the same um, you know, have the same direction, the same cause. It's very difficult. Um, but it's definitely been thrown around. It's not, you know, there, I mean, right now, obviously we've got more pressing issues of trying to scramble with what we have, but, um, overall, I mean, and you know, everything moves slow. You have to see how things affect one another. It'd be great if it was just a quick, easy fix of, all right, this is how we're going to do it. But, Unfortunately, that's it's got to go through a lot of yeses, a lot of noes, and it's it's, uh, it's a very slow moving machine. No, I can only imagine, and I I'm quite confident hearing you talk about these things that we that we're moving in the right direction. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that being said, you talked about the training for you at an individual level. And, you know, I've seen the TikToks here doing the lunges in the house and whatever you can do. Uh, how how big of a struggle has that been for you? How creative have you had to get with your workouts and what are those looking like? Um, so I'm pretty fortunate in that I have a bit of a home gym set up in my basement. Um, so I ordered some kettlebells and dumbbells. And so I'm able to actually do decent workouts. Um, but I know a lot of 
you know, maybe players don't have that or even, you know, fans, normal people, like we're not allowed to go to parks anymore. Maybe the weather is a bit too cold to go running outside. So I just decided to be a little creative and maybe think of, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with body weight and stuff lying around the house. So that, that particular video, I decided why not try and be productive while cleaning your floors and getting a workout in at the same time. And I'm not going to lie, those mountain climbers were making me sweat. So it's definitely <laughs> not like, a, I mean, it's a joke, but at the same time, I worked hard for that joke. No, it was a great, again, another well-executed video for sure. They're all incredible and um you know for you the lack of tennis because you talked about it courts are being closed I feel like for a professional tennis player if you hit forehands against a wall like in your house or the garage wall you're gonna break that wall and so I'm curious for you you know do you how creative do you have to get hitting wise and do you almost treat it like an off season at this point until things settle down how do you handle the tennis perspective uh, yeah, I mean, we I've Mark Lucero's posted videos of him practicing volleys, sitting down on the ground, um, and that's great. Like to great to get creative. Um, for me, I I the only time I've picked up my racket is to pretend to play tennis in my TikTok videos. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I were joking, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I actually had a I had a dream or a nightmare the other night that I was back on court and. I hadn't hit a ball in over a month and I expressed that to the other person and they were like, no, it's fine. And I was literally whiffing balls. So like maybe <laughs> I should, you know, sacrifice the side of the house to maybe get some swings. I have been doing shadow swings or like serving motions or whatever, just so I don't like completely lose that. But uh, in terms of actual making contact with a ball, it has not happened, uh, but probably should. <laughs> no that's the subconscious saying hey we're ready or just all of those tennis instincts are ready to rock and roll so yeah it, it might be time to dust it off and bring the racket back out for i mean you. And, you know to be fair was- i've also been having nightmares where i've i show up to a class and it's the last day of class and i've missed the entire class like the entire <laughs> quarter of not going to this class because i forgot i enrolled in it so I don't, does that mean I have to go back to school or I should retake my classes? Maybe. I mean, it sounds like it's, you're looking for time to fill. I'm sure Stanford's online at this point. You could be like, Hey, I'm going to, what, what's it called when you, um, oh, I'm, I'm losing the, when you go to the class, you're just auditing. Audit. It, that's the word. <laughs> yeah. You're auditing the class and that's what they're, uh, you could, I'm sure they'd be willing to have you at this point, certainly. And, you know, I feel like that's a good way for us to transition. You talk about the fact you did go to Stanford even before that go, uh, though, I want to go back to 2008. You're, you know, Turn, you're 15, uh, turning 16, and you win your first two titles professionally in that span. I think in your first three tournaments, um, at that point of your career, having that sort of success that early, you know, what does that do for your confidence? And how did you ultimately end up deciding to uh, go to college despite being, you know, top 400 or at that point? Yeah, it's pretty weird to look at 16-year-olds today versus how maybe <laughs> I was as a 16-year-old because you look at someone like. Coco Goff or, you know, McNally, Anna Samova, even like Bianca when she was 16. And I'm like, these girls are so mature. They know exactly what they're doing. Like they have their lives together. And me as a 16 year old was just absolute chaos, mayhem in every type of sense of the word. Like I had absolutely no idea what was going on. I didn't know what tension was. As you probably saw from my TikTok, I lost my, my 
second pro tournament, I lost 0-0 in El Paso, Texas, because I didn't know what altitude was. And even if I did, I didn't know what tension on the string was. Like, I was just going there to play a tennis tournament, have some fun, couldn't win a game, was very confused. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's so impressive to see, you know, for me, college was always the goal. There was never a doubt in my mind um, that I wasn't going to college. Uh, but and I, and I went to I went to public at that time. I was still going to I think I just transferred to a private school because my public school wouldn't let me keep missing. They wouldn't let me cut gym class to go to practice, basically, which was <laughs> fine by me. I was playing indoor football all day long. Mom was not too pleased about it. But um, so, uh, yeah, so I was going to, to private school you know, doing, doing the normal class thing, never, parents never considered homeschooling me. Um, and then, yeah, you see like these 16 year olds are professional. They're almost like little business women. And it's crazy to see, you know, there's like the joke that our the millennial generations, what we looked like when we were like teeny boppers and what the Gen Z teeny boppers look like now, they don't look like teeny boppers anymore. Um, so yeah, it's just crazy generationally to see the, the change. Okay, I think teeny bopper just aged you because I've never heard that term before. And that's uh, that's good, though. I like that. I mean, sure, that's fair. I also think you buried the lead. You lost 0-0, but that was after winning your first professional tournament. So you kind of knew what you were doing. But it made it um, that much more confusing. Because <laughs> then I went on I went on to win, you know, a couple weeks later, I played a, another tournament. that It was a 10K in uh, Houston. And I actually beat the girl that beat the girl that beat me oh and oh so i was even more confused of the triangle of how did i lose oh and oh to this girl it just doesn't make any sense yeah that's half the fun in that final seven six oh six seven six another yeah 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 that's impressive i was a Uh, head scratcher back then i mean i still (laughs) might be now but back then i'm like woof and I feel like, you know, most times if you won a tournament, at least now on your birthday week, you celebrate hard. But having just turned 16, what does that celebration even look like? Uh, I do believe I uh, I was going to Spain to train there for two weeks to do like a, a camp at an academy. Um, and I was I was a really big soccer fan, was massive Fernando Torres fan. And uh they were playing some like Germany or something. They were playing a really or Italy. They were playing a really good country, and I literally was like, I just want them to win. I want that to be my birthday present. Um, yeah, like wow, what a loser. But uh, that's that was my my birthday wish, and it came true. Yeah, hey, and you won. Yeah, it's it's a win win. It sounds like uh, that's a definite <laughs> victory for you. And you know that year you qualify for the U.S. Open, and so you have to turn down that prize money as well. But you said college was always in your future. Uh, is it one of those things? And you know, for me, I feel like if Stanford offers, it's just like yes, I'm going there. Uh, so I don't think at the time I even knew what Stanford was. Um, as an <laughs> East Coast Asian kid, uh, it's you know the the Holy Trinity of Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. Um, <laughs> I wish I were joking. Uh, and at the time, uh, first round main draw prize money was $18,500. Uh, 
And I just remember that being the biggest deal that I couldn't take it at the time. And, you know, they were asking me what my expenses were for because at the time you could get reimbursed for your expenses. And they were like, okay, like, how much is your hotel? And I'm like, I'm staying at home. They're like, okay, well, how much was your flight? I was like, I didn't fly. I live at home. And they're like, okay, well, can we give you gas money at least? Like driving to and from the courts. I was like, yeah, sure. And it just never, you know, like it never occurred to me that like you could, you know, maybe inflate the numbers a tiny bit, but it was just so innocent. Like the poor lady was like, are you joking? This is what you're telling me? Like, are you sure? Um, But yeah, that was, again, just an absolute whirlwind. I couldn't, I barely remember that as a whole. <laughs> yeah, that what a time that must have been. I can, uh, you know, the idea of turning down, you know, 10 zeros or, you know, four, 10 zeros, four zeros <laughs> before the decimal place, 10 zeros, maybe it's a reconsideration. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd be like, yeah, what? Like, you want me to do what? And, you know, ultimately, I guess if you do the math Stanford wise, you make a little bit more than that over your four years. But um, for you at that point, I'm sure you had your pick of colleges. You were top 500 in the world had had success already at the pro ter- uh, pro level. What was it about Stanford that had you going there? Uh, yeah, I think at one point they were playing the NCAAs on TV, and that's kind of um, how I even heard of the name and was like, oh. And obviously Stanford was winning. Yeah, they won that year, of course. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, okay, like let me look up the school. And obviously it turns out they're a very good academic school. So I was like, oh, that'd be kind of cool to visit. Um, the hardcourts used to be in Berkeley for us, the girls' 18s. Um, so I actually got to go visit campus and I was obviously mesmerized like this place. How is it real? Um, and then got in touch with the coach and, you know, it was at my recruiting class was pretty tough. Christina McHale, Nicole Gibbs, I think Melanie Udan was still in the running and all the girls like it was there was only a couple spots and it was very competitive. Obviously, things changed. Another spot opened up. Chris and Mel turned pro. But at the time, it was very much like, dude, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to go to Stanford at this point. And obviously, it ended up working out for you. You end up getting there. You're an All-American your freshman uh, year. You did deal with some injuries, though, and I'm curious, just during your time there, you know, how did college tennis help your development, help you prepare for the pro tour? Because once you got back on there, you know, you've been top 200 almost ever since. Uh, yeah, I wish it were that easy. Um, but <laughs> unfortunately, it wasn't. I think one of the hardest transitions of going from college to pro tennis is the fact that you go from having what essentially feels like an extended family with insane amount of resources, fitness trainers, physios, coaches, hitting partners, you know, like always you're, you've got everything at your disposal. And then for whatever reason, you decide to move to Plantation, Florida, live by yourself and just constantly question what in God's name you're doing at that moment. Um, So it's a very different um, mindset that was and I think most college players would agree. Uh, And then all of a sudden, you know, you're playing for yourself. Like, what does that even mean? Um, And you're you're just everything feels so lonely. And I particularly isolated myself. Uh, moving to somewhere that was unfamiliar Um, but I somehow managed to kind of scrap myself together get in a pretty good um, 
training routine and I, I was bumping, I was moving around a bit in Florida every year. I was moving to a different part of Florida, spent some time in Atlanta, just couldn't find the ultimate situation. And then finally, end of 2018, I think, decided to move back home to Jersey because I wanted to live a semi-normal life on my weekends and hang out with friends. <laughs> and obviously the decision paid off for you given where the results have gone i'm curious living at home now given that you can't leave it as frequently does it become more frustrating uh no because i <laughs> love the indoors i love my parents house i think it's really funny though you know the joke of boomers are like oh you're probably like living in your parents basement and i'm like that's <laughs> not entire i mean it's not in the basement i do live like upstairs but you know, like the, the the stereotype that goes with living with your parents. And I'm like, I'm proud to live with my parents. That means I'm not paying rent. <laughs> yeah, no, having just moved out, let me say I, I completely agree with you. And I also, though, reject your premise that plantation is not comparable to Palo Alto. Uh, I just don't think that's fair. They're very similar. I, uh, you're both. absolutely right. It, it's all yeah. perspective. It's over 70 degrees, and that's good enough. Uh, just keep it there. Plenty of outdoor courts available. Um, but, no, for you, I'm curious, and, you know, uh, why would you know this? But I, ha I come from a Jewish background, and, you know, I have parents who every day when I – because I'm doing the tennis thing now full time, it's like, but are you going to apply to law school, Alex? You know, when are you filling those out? That you, You're sitting at home all day with the application cycle. For you, you have a four-year degree from Stanford, and I know this is something you've talked about in your interviews with New York Times, with The Guardian. Shout out to you, by the way, New York Times profile. That counts. <laughs> uh, check that off. But uh, what to make that decision to go pro – at that point as opposed to pursuing something uh outside of the game of tennis did that just come from a love for the sport a passion for the sport was it you know going pro something you always wanted to do how tough is it to make that decision and you know what was your thinking behind your choice uh yeah perhaps my route was a bit more unconventional I went into college actually kind of burnt out from tennis obviously when I, I had success when I was 16 years old um but really wasn't ready for it uh, American tennis at the time was not what it is now. And, you know, Serena and Venus, they were holding up the torch pretty high, but there's a lot of question marks after them. And I just felt a lot of pressure from inwards and from others that, you know, I could do it, I could do well, and I don't do that well under that kind of pressure. And I crumbled very <laughs> hard. Um, had a lot of, you know, internal crisis at 16 17 years old who am I what am I doing existential if you will um and so was kind of like let me go to college let me figure out what I want to do with my life who I want to be and if I want to if I ultimately love playing the sport of tennis um got was playing very well my freshman year and then had a freak accident followed by another freak accident followed by some bad luck and I missed out on a lot of time and by the time senior year rolled around, I was kind of like, I don't feel like my story's quite finished yet. I want to finish it on my terms. Um, I felt like I skipped out a lot by the by the injuries. Um, so I decided I kind of made a deal with my parents that they would help fund me for three years um, from 14 to 17, 20, 2014 to 2017. Um 
And I thought that was more than an, a fair enough deal. I think, you know, they could have automatically just said, nope, you're on your own. But um, yeah, they, you know, three years, I think for me, what I wanted to accomplish, it was more than enough time to make it on my own. And if I couldn't, then I would, you know, gladly, not gladly, but, you know, not reluctantly hang up the rackets and kind of turn to the next chapter. Yeah, and obviously it was a well thought out decision and it worked out well for you. It was a good gamble on yourself is I think what I was looking for. Um, And, you know, those first three years on tour, you sort of talked about the difference, the lack of facilities, you're on your own, you're training by yourself. But, you know, in terms of the level of play, I'm curious, jumping from a top two spot and you you and Nicole Gibbs get to practice throughout your whole time. Those are two, you know, top 100 players. Uh, So I'm sure the level of practice was high. But what was the adjustment like for you tennis wise what did you notice were the biggest jumps uh, that you had to make in terms of adjusting to the pro level um yeah I I genuinely the biggest thing was the mind I mean that's the biggest difference on almost every level of tennis like you know I had success before going into college it's not like my level wasn't there it was that I was an immature 17 18 year old who needed to grow up a little bit and I think that's what college really does is it helps you grow it helps you figure out who you are what your game is Um, and then also no offense to the world of tennis like we're all little divas we all we've been (laughs) we've been growing up as me 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 you know everything revolves around you and rightfully so I mean you know, you have to be little business people. But um, when you go to college, that me turns into a we and you actually have to learn that you're not the most important person in the room anymore. That doesn't benefit everybody. Um, and if you're not having a good day, guess what? You got to fake it for your teammates. And you kind of just <laughs> you got to you got to learn of what I feel like you just gain so much perspective being on a team. No, for sure. And, uh, you know, again, I that sounds ideal. They, it, me turns into we that's these are the sound bites we're looking for so keep them coming uh but that's why you have the tennis media personality uh that's why you're that you say that in the intro but for you uh you talked about that 2017 year being the deadline and you had a bunch of success that season uh you make I think you win a 60k in April you win an 80k in November a final in May as well uh, did something in particular click for you? Was it just, you know, three years on tour, you finally had your bearings under? And, you know, what was going right that year that you seem to have ridden, you know, since that moment? Yeah, that's kind of funny because it felt like everything was going wrong that year. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not joking. Uh, so I was actually in Australia. I was playing some challengers and, you know, 25, 60Ks, and they were going atrociously bad. Um, and I was like, I guess this is kind of it, you know, like, this is pretty cool. I kind of just put in perspective of I'm traveling Australia right now, um, playing tennis. What a cool opportunity, like the places that it's taken me to taken me to. So I kind of just took it as like a victory lap, like a very small V victory lap. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then, and then I don't, I had a conversation with, uh, my friend's boyfriend at the time and I was like, you know what? I think this is it. And he was like, don't be ridiculous. Like, you say that now, but just watch. Everything's going to turn on the stop of a dime. And lo and behold, he was kind of right. Because um, when I came back home from, and I don't know, I, I genuinely, there's too many moving parts to this, but I do feel like part of it was maybe the pressure that I took off of myself that, you know, I needed to make it because it was kind of like, well, this is it, you know, just kind of accepting it for what it was. And then at the same time, I also got to spend time with my at the time, new coach, Shanae Perry, 
And she really said some stuff that resonated with me. And I went to my first tournament back uh, after Australia was uh, a WTA in Monterey. And that was my first WTA in probably close to other than Stanford um, was like my first WTA in maybe like a decade or something. And I went and I absolutely crushed it. And from that point on, it was like a steamroll just like could not like a runaway train could not stop it. I had, could not wrap my head around what was happening. Sinead could not wrap her head around what was happening. It was all very confusing. I was like, dude, we did it. And she's like, I didn't do anything. And I was like, no, but you did. And it was, I don't know. It just kept going, going. And yeah, it was, it was a pretty crazy year. Yeah, and then you you know you crack the top one fifteen at the end of the summer last year. You know, or excuse me, twenty eighteen. You know, I'm sure when you're transitioning from playing those sixty k, hundred k, hundred twenty five k's to you know WTA international or premier style events, uh, that transition can be a jump. But for that, is it more again mental or physical? It's another mental hurdle to play those sorts of events. And then you know, what did qualifying for Wimbledon getting that? first main draw appearance since 2008 monkey off your back help for your confidence uh yeah again i'm gonna obviously you know the top players they're all very fit and they have the resources to put themselves in the best situations possible but i do think the biggest difference is in the head and most of it comes from self-belief uh, at least for me, my biggest issue was believing that I could do it. Even in 2017, when I was doing it, I could not believe I was doing it. And I refused <laughs> to believe that I was doing it. And ultimately, that bit me in the butt come 2018, because I had I had a pretty good um, start to the year first couple months. And then I just was like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. And I couldn't will my like Shanae was like I believe in you more than you do and that's not right um so I had to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out mentally how to bring myself back up um and believe in myself a little bit more um but yeah and then you know for I think there's always been like this in the back of my mind the fact that I was able to qualify for a slam when I was 16 my first try uh and then you know you think you're going to do it the next year and the next year and the next year. And at some point it's like, Oh wow, I'm really not going to do this again. Am I? Um, and so when I finally got that breakthrough at Wimbledon, I do feel like another, like you said, monkey did come off my back. And even though I lost first round to Sevastova, like I was able to keep that momentum going into the U S hardcourt swing and turn 2019 into my best year yet. Yeah, and you reach a career high in the singles rankings of number 87. You crack the top 100 for the first time. I, I There's not like a formal club, right? It's not like you're like, hey, welcome to the top 100. <laughs> you did it, and then you get entered into this group chat of like everyone who's made the top 100. That's not a real thing, or if it is, let us know, please. Um, but you know, for you mentally, I know you've joked in the media about your relationship with your parents and convincing them that you made the right choice, but what does – cracking the top 100 do for your confidence just a moment like that something I'm sure you have sought to do your entire career uh, how gratifying is that moment yeah um well first of all it's funny that you say like this like exclusive top 100 club because no there is no like congrats you don't get like a sheet of paper or whatever but when I qualified for Wimbledon there are people who stand by your court and say welcome to Wimbledon and hand you like a little index card. I'm not joking like 
That's it, it literally feels like you made it to the big leagues. Like this is it. And I was like, oh my god. Like I felt like I was like meeting the queen in a way. It was just so formal. And it was obviously like it's you know for Wimbledon, you play qualifying at Roehampton. You're not even allowed on site. Like so to be able to make that um, you know get that formal invitation into the All England Club. That is like the exclusive club that you want to be a part of um but in terms of making top 100 that is also funny i find a lot of things funny um because in 2017 i would have given an arm and a leg to have that number go from triple digits to double digits and that's part of what killed me was when i couldn't get there or um you know beginning of 2018 when i was ranked 105 it was eating me up inside uh and then when i when it actually happened last year it really wasn't a big deal it was, you know, it was cool and it was, you know, to see that number. But I really, it was so interesting to me of how much my perspective has changed in the span of a year and a half to go from I would give anything to have that double digits to, okay, like that. I think, you know, my first formal ranking would have been like 97 or something. And I was like, but why stop there? Let's just keep like I didn't, you know, I would I would have thought I would have cracked open a bottle of champagne or whatever popped open. <laughs> Um, a bottle of champagne and celebrated my eyes out but it was you know it was all right cool like good job let's keep going yeah I'm sure it helped that this year when you made or last year when you made the fourth round you got to keep the prize money (laughs) yeah luckily it wasn't the other way around that I (laughs) made fourth round in 2008 and first round this year um yeah it was it was a pretty nice you know the, the numbers were the numbers were pretty big but you know, I was literally in a deficit for my first couple of years. So as much as I love to celebrate that big check, I'm just paying off what I've, uh, what my debts were pretty much. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm sure. But, you know, for you to make the fourth round, I think first Asian American to make uh, the fourth round in singles since 2000. And, uh, you know, just I, re- I remember watching the run and you just the, you could see the how much fun you were having on the court. What are those moments like when you're reaching the second week of a Grand Slam, given, you know, all that you've gone through the, the previous five years on tour? Yeah, I've always considered myself an all or nothing type of girl. And that's very indicative of how my junior career went, because I would either lose first round or I would go very far into the tournament, um, which clearly I either won the pro tournament or lost first round O&O. So, um, you know, to I've played in a couple slams up to that point and lost first round every time. So to be able to not only get my first Grand Slam win, but also to be able to make the second, you know, the second week in in that feat, it really was uh, like mind blowing in the best way possible. Um, but you know, I I've said it before: when you draw Svetlana Kuznetsova first round, there's two ways you can approach it. There's oh god, what a terrible draw! I'm playing a former Grand Slam U.S. Open champion, and she just reached the finals of Cincinnati. Um, or you could look at it as what a cool opportunity, like this is, this is what I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, like that I get to play her not only at a slam, but also my home slam where it all began. Like I lost to Safina in 2008, Russian top in the world. Like there were so many similarities that I was drawing that I was like, this kind of feels obviously, you know, very different, but like in a weird way, it just kind of felt like I had a second chance and a do-over. 
Yeah, and obviously it worked out for you well, and you got to start out this year, as you mentioned, in Australia playing uh, qualies in Auckland and qualies in Hobart, and then you know uh, play the Australian Open as well as St. Petersburg. I'm curious because you got the, to, the chance to experience Caroline Wozniacki in her last tournament. Uh, I know I grew up watching her, and I don't think we're that different. I think you're 92, right? Yes. Yeah, so I'm a 95, so it's not too different, but I'm sure we both grew up watching Caroline Wozniacki play. You probably think I'm, what did you say, a teenage bopper? What, I, I don't a remember teeny, the term. A teeny bopper? A teeny bopper. I don't know if I'm a teeny bopper still. Um, <laughs> the, the hairline would suggest otherwise. The point being, uh, in this question, you got the chance to play Caroline Wozniacki in her final tournament. I know you're supposed to block all of those things out, and I'm sure you, you know, did your absolute best to do so, but is there any part of your mind that are thinking like, wow, I'm, I'm playing her in her last tournament. This is a weird moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, the, the harder you try to block things out, the more they hit you around the back of the head. So to, you know, it's at the end of the day, it is just a tennis match. Like, but what a cool, what a, what an incredible career she's had. And for also for me to go from watching her on TV, you know, making the U.S. Open finals to winning the Australian Open and then finally getting to play her in her last slam like that's, you know, regardless of how I did, that's something that I'm going to be taking with me for the rest of my life as well. Um, And it was, you know, it, it ended up being a pretty the second set was pretty tough match i felt like i was doing a beep test like fitness test out there (laughs) and my face just was burning my lungs were i just was like am i going to pass out maybe but at least it'll make for a pretty cool tv moment um but yeah again super cool something that i'll be able to carry with me for the rest of my life well, shout out to that public school for not letting you skip gym because I appreciated that beep test reference. I think we all know what that relates to us. So I love that. And yeah, you know, for you again, 2020, there are now so many bigger concerns than when tennis is going to come back uh, and, you know, what it's going to look like when it does. But for you personally, um, you know, what were your goals for this 2020 season? And I know it's a long way from now, likely, but when tennis resumes, what are the next things you're trying to accomplish you know the next benchmarks for you uh yeah so i i don't know how to sort of like verbalize this but you know it um like it (laughs) the beginning of 2020 was tough for me because i was i spent my first couple weeks like sick so i tried i you know i played auckland and hobart but i was nowhere near my 100 percent and like it was just very unfortunate that that's how I guess it's pretty indicative of how the year is going anyway. But um, yeah, I, I really wanted to, I try not to put pressure on rankings or points or whatever, just kind of looking at my game and what I want to improve on. That's kind of been the goal and let the numbers and whatnots figure themselves out and speak for themselves. And by the time Indian Wells was rolling around, I felt like I finally had a little bit of momentum. I felt some confidence on what I was doing, some improvements in my game. So when Indian Wells was canceled, that hurt that little bit extra because I felt like I really was um, ready to and excited to play. Um, and as for when we resume, I genuinely, it's just so hard to even conceptualize at this point because 
not only have so many tournaments been missed, but there's a question of if tournaments that were, you know, postponed, if they get put back on the calendar, what does that mean? How does that look? You know, what are the points looking like there? What's your schedule? There's just everything is so up in the air. And right now, as someone on the council, it's very tough. And it's very tough for me to, you know, explain this to players as well, because it's, I feel bad that we can't give concrete answers, but it's genuinely like, we don't know until the chips finally fall on the table, and then we can make our move. But we can't make a first move if we don't know how how long we're going to be out for when we're what options are even going to be available at the time. Yeah, uh, again, I feel very confident now. I know you're thinking about all of these things. Clearly, the player council has been busy and up to things that you know keeps me positive in these times. Tennis is heading the right direction, and I think something we are all curious about: when tennis resumes, whenever that it may be, are we still going to get the TikTok content? Do you think TikTok's <laughs> going to go the way of Vine? Is it just going to disappear in a couple of months? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I was like. Oh, we'll just be out till like May. So I can put some stuff out till then. And then we got postponed to June. I'm like, okay, like, I think I could, you know, maybe make it to June. And now I'm like, am I just indefinitely putting out TikTok videos? Like, uh, And then, yeah, when we resume, I definitely plan on cutting back on it. I will, you know, I'll keep, I'll keep making them, but I won't be, you know, posting them to Twitter or Instagram as much. Um, just because I know right now is a pretty big drought of just in general content. So I know people were, I put out a poll, do you want me to keep posting it to Twitter? But what, 90% of people said yes. So I was like, all right, I'll just do it until, you know, we can finally get excited about tennis coming back. Uh, but at this rate, it's not looking too good. So I guess I'm going to have to join Hype House or something. I was going to say, the next move is to make it Patreon only, right? And just start getting a little money off of that. I feel like oh, that's God. just the, no. yeah, the natural succession. No, the demand is there. I'm just saying, if you worked for Crack Rackets, Dalton would, for, he'd be like, you're on Patreon right now. It would just be, it would be ridiculous. Um, and it's, it's really been that entertaining. Some fun ones for you, and then I want to let you go. You've already given me some bonus time, but. Uh, obviously TikTok is one thing you are up to and staying in shape probably should have said that first is the first thing you're up to TikTok comes second but uh you know for you at this time what is Christian's daily life looking like uh yeah so my TikTok hours usually go from 11 <laughs> 11 p.m to 2 a.m maybe 1 30 a.m mm-hmm. um and then during the day I uh I don't know. I got some stuff. Like, uh, I actually don't watch that much TV. Um, so I I try to read books. I've got a lot of instruments lying around the house. So I'm kind of trying to start a one-man band. Um, and then my mom and I, we take turns cooking. So spend time in the kitchen. Um yeah, I don't know. There's it, It's weird. And then, you know, I've been getting some media requests. So I try and uh sculpt out hours of the day for that um but it's yeah i feel like somehow i've been keeping really busy and it's very concerning because i'm like there's so many hours in the day how are you how how do you not have time to like clean your room Uh, (laughs) so yeah no 
That sounds enjoyable. And uh, we had one guest say she's trying to, I think it was Claire Luce cooking through a cookbook. I was like, that's a good idea. Like, I should definitely try that. And I don't know if this is too invasive of a question, so you can shoo me off if it is. But how, what's the most disgusted you've been looking at your phone on a Sunday? And it's like you watched X hours or you were on your phone X hours per day this week. Are you talking about the content or like the no, no like when it's screen time when it gives you like for me uh... I hit I hit over seven hours and I was very upset with myself I was like that's just oh, not possible no like, was I, I am way above seven hours when I started <laughs> when I in the beginning of this quarantine my phone told me that my my phone viewing was up seventy one percent so that should give you a pre and i was probably around five six hours screen time originally so if you want to do the math it's a pretty high number yeah that's not great it's not great no it's just it keeps going up too i'm like i did more this week i was just like come on it's it's devastating um but you know i gotta watch all of your tiktoks so i gotta keep up with everything yeah i I feel like that number is skewed though like if you are reading the news on i mean i know you're still on your phone but there is like it should be separated into like productive phone time or like i consider like reading reddit to be productive so like that would go under productivity and then you know tiktok instagram Sometimes Twitter can be productive. Most of the time it's not. But, you know, the social, you know, media aspect, like they should separate that because I feel really bad when I just see the number is in double digits and I'm like. Ah. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely <laughs> that's is that your one man band? Is that one of the instruments? Um, just the sound effects right there. That was mm. Oh, yeah, I should add it. <laughs> <laughs> just like a little background noise. I think that would be perfect. Um but no, it's uh, yeah, it's lacking nuance for sure. Maybe these phones can unionize and agree, like, hey, we're all going to show a little more nuance. That's <laughs> yeah, that's the priority right now. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it, it was too easy. Um, but yeah, I mean, and for you, I guess moving forward, you mentioned you're stepping up your media game and stuff. But you know, for our fans, can you let them know where they can find all of your fantastic content? Uh. Yeah, let's see if I got. I do believe my Twitter and TikTok handles are at Christy on, and then my Instagram is K on the number one, or just Con right. one, if you will. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Christy, again, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to speak with us today on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Good luck to you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And again, thank you for all of the laughs. It's been it's been one of the few pleasures, and what's obviously a shitty time for everyone. Better beat that out. <laughs> yeah, I've almost <laughs> made, made it through. I slipped minutes up. in, and then that's when you decide to drop one. Just kidding. Thanks for having me. This is super fun. Really happy I got on here with you guys. No, of course. I don't like to make it too easy for our producers. It was too clean. There were no sound effects, so I just have to make sure he's awake and was listening. Uh, but, yeah, thank you so much. And, again, there's always a seat open for you. So should you get bored, you know you know where to find me. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. <laughs> uh, take care. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Christiane. And, again, thank you to Christy, who must just be so busy right now. It, it's hard to come up with content, and she continues to shine through with her TikToks, with all of her Twitter stuff as well. And, of course, she's contributing to Tennis Channel, too. And she's a WTA Player Council member, and she has to balance her own professional career. So talk about a workhorse, someone well-deserved of the Stanford degree she has. And she's putting it to good use, one of the brightest minds in our game. So what a pleasure that 
conversation was. If you've missed any of our other podcasts over these past couple of weeks, I'm going to plug them again real quick. Correct interviews-wise, we've had Claire Liu, we've had Dennis Kudla, Chris Woodruff, Bethany Maddox-Sands, of course, all the college interviews we did back in the season. I think they still hold well to today. So be sure to go check all of those out on the Great Shot Podcast. See our classics. Our new series looking at some of the best matches in tennis history is live and even better in a YouTube video format. Go check out our YouTube channel. Go subscribe there. Uh, Super producer Daniel Westoff doing the coolest things, turning interviews into videos. But beyond that, see our classics weaves in highlights of the matches we are talking about from tennis's past. You get to see our smiling faces as well. So it's really fun content there. in depth that we are quite proud of so please go give that a look of course we're also up to overserved which episode four should have come out by the time this podcast is released that of course is our look at the funny aspect of the tennis world you put enough homeschooled people in one place and funny stuff's gonna happen and it does week in week out and we try and highlight it poke fun at it of course all in good spirit you know nice way to get your mind off of the stresses of the day-to-day life so go check out all that stuff on the youtube channel and again, if you've missed any of our content, go to CrackedRackets.com. You need more immediate updates. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. It's all at Cracked Rackets if you want to slide into my DMs, which is how we arrange some of our best podcast interviews. Uh, you'll see CR Classics 2. The guest I did it with was uh, preconceived, I suppose, through the DMs. So don't be a stranger. I'm bored. You're bored. Let's make some new friends, folks. There's no reason we, we can, as long as we're physically distanced appropriately, social distancing, again, it, I don't like the connotation because I still want to stay connected to all of you and I hope you all stay connected to the tennis universe through these podcasts and again like rate subscribe review share them with your friends any support we get at this moment it means the world to us so even if it's just a benign tweet or a little comment up on Apple Podcasts, whatever it be uh, it may be uh, we so appreciate all of you who take the time to reach out and shout out to our Patreon members as well again in a time like this financial support means the world to us and you know if you want to go check that out you want exclusive access to some of the new content we have uh go to patreon.com we know again there are more financially uh pressing issues for all of us so we understand if you can't right now um but to those who have it, it's so greatly appreciated so thank you so much uh but again that will do it for today's cracked interviews podcast shout out to super producers max fleekner and daniel westoff for the <laughs> of an editing job they do day in day out it's easy for me to record stuff it would be nothing without them putting it together and making me sound pretty. So shout out to them. But for my lovely guest, Christian, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. That'll do it, folks, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.